we are in the last week of studying. Uh, you've, you've got questions, he's, he's got answers. So we're talking about questions that need answering. And uh, next week we will begin a series on, uh, on heroes of the faith, walking through, uh, through the chapter of Hebrews 11 and all of the, the Old Testament texts that that will take us to. Uh, but we're answering our last of the, of the topical messages for the summer here. And we're going to talk today about the, the Old Testament law and why do we obey some of the laws and not other laws. And, and when you think about it, sometimes it appears anyway that, that we like certain laws, right? We like certain things like thou shalt not steal, right? So we use that and we, uh, at least we try to, um, and we, we obey it and we want other people to obey it, right? That's why we get upset when someone steals something that belongs to us. And so we like it. And, and if anyone claims, yeah, but that's from the Old Testament, right? Thou shalt not steal, that's Old Testament stuff. Then we might bring up verses like uh, Matthew 5, 17 and 18, where Jesus uh, was speaking, and he, and he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one, or one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus, and Jesus was saying very clearly, no, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. In fact, the law and and the prophets, they are going to be fulfilled to the extent that every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. Now, he's not making up words there, by the way. You know what a jot is? A jot is the smallest Hebrew letter. It looks like an an English apostrophe. It's just a little, little jot. Right? And, and so he's saying, even that, a tittle is even smaller than that. A tittle is a portion of a letter. It's any portion of a letter that without it, the one letter would become a different letter. So like in English, the difference between an O and a Q is what? That one little, that one little line there. We call, we call that a tittle, right? So Jesus is very clear. He didn't come to abolish the law. If the law, the law was given by God and it stands firm right? It stands firm. But then we, we find other laws that we don't like in Scripture, uh, like abstaining from pork. Any other bacon lovers out there? All right. So uh, I know, I, I mean, our culture is definitely a bacon-eating culture. I even saw bacon on, uh, on Sundays at Burger King, right? So now that doesn't even sound good to me, but but we don't like certain laws, so we run to the excuse, yeah, but didn't Jesus abolish the law? I, and we re- use verses like Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, where we read, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, and made us both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So in one sense, it sounds like maybe he did abolish the law, but in another sense, he didn't abolish the law. And, and, that, and so uh, that leaves us with a lot of, a lot of questions then um, on, on what, what to do with this. And so oftentimes what we do is we pick the laws that we like, and we, we just ignore the ones that we don't like, right? And it just so happens that the ones we say that we don't like, just, they all fit with our own preferences, Right? Uh, because I, I can't be the only person here who eats bacon, right? Any other bacon eaters? I'm sure there are. So uh, this is what, what I call a, a pick-and-choose theology. 
a pick-and-choose theology. You pick what you want, but you ignore what you don't want. I think a lot of times we look at Old Testament law like we would look at uh, the menu at a McDonald's drive through right? And, and you see this, and, and when you go to the menu, obviously you don't pick everything. You just pick the things that you want, and you just ignore the rest. And, and, and I think we look at the Old Testament law that way sometimes. And, and it's, it's like saying, well, I'll have some moral code, but, uh, but leave off the prohibition for adultery, right? Or I'll, I'll take one, thou shalt not kill— um, but I definitely want to eat my bacon. Or, you know, I would like a, a thou shalt not bear false witness for my neighbor, right? But leave off the curly side bangs that the law talks about for the, for the Jews to have. And, and so, so we pick and we choose, and, and, uh, and, and that creates a problem for us as Christians, doesn't it? Because we condemn actions by people because their actions are breaking Old Testament law, like like thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal thou shalt not kill but yet we don't follow all of the laws ourselves like keeping the sabbath right because what day is today sunday yet here we are uh the, the sabbath is saturday right uh or or not interweaving wool and linen that's an old testament command not to not to interweave wool and linen together uh or offering the sacrifices we come together today, and we're not offering any sacrifices, right? Uh, but yet those were commands in the Old Testament. So, so this can come across as very hypocritical, right? And the world, by the way, notices that. And they use that hypocrisy to discredit every single moral belief that we teach. Did you know that? They, they do. They pay attention. If, if, if the world doesn't want to follow Christ, but I'll tell you what, they follow us in the sense that they watch us carefully and they tr- look for hypocrisy and then they spot it, they, they shout. It's like, like kids with parents. That, it's not fair! You ever hear that if you have kids? They're, they're, the world is experts at looking for hypocrisy and they see it in us and they use it to discredit any moral beliefs that we, that, that, that we share as believers. Uh, as an illustration, this I found uh, online that, and it says, so you still think homosexuality is sinful and therefore gays shouldn't be allowed to marry. This is not put out by a church. This is, this is just something that's, that's popular. It's out there on the web uh, quite a bit. And we look at, the, at this, and I know you can't read all of that from here, but uh, the answer, it's a flow chart. So if you say yes, you go to the left side of the chart. If you say no, you go to the right side of the chart. And, and with no, it's a very small part of the chart because if you say no, then it says congratulations on being part of a civilized society. If you say yes, it gets very complicated from there because then it asks you Why? And when it asks you why, one of the answers is because the Old Testament says so. Now I'm going to zoom in on that just a little bit. And this is what it says then. It says the Old Testament also says it's sinful to eat shellfish and to wear clothes woven with different, different kinds of fabric and to eat pork. And then it says right below that, uh, I know you can't read it from there, but it says right below that, well then should we still live by Old Testament laws? If you say yes, it leads to a point where you're condemned as a xenophobic chauvinist and so on. And if you say no, then it works you back into the cycle and eventually takes you to the point where it says grow up. Right? So they look at us and say, wait a minute. If you're going to claim that homosexuality is wrong because the Bible says it's wrong, then you've got you to gotta believe the whole Bible. But yet you eat pork. You interweave your, your clothes. Do you see the problem? 
even if we don't see the solution yet, at least see the problem, the, 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 the hypocrisy from the eyes of the world that they, they look upon us and say, then we get to throw out all of it. If you're not obeying all of it, then we get to throw out all of it. And that's where the world is, has, uh, has taken it. Um, so, um, we, so here's what the, where that leaves us, the dilemma. We know that we don't follow all of the Old Testament laws, right? Is that safe to say? I mean, here we are. It's Sunday. It's not Saturday, right? Uh, we know that we don't follow all of the laws. At the same time, we also know that we can't throw out the Old Testament, right? We can't do like Thomas Jefferson did and just cut out portions of the Bible that he didn't like and, and literally throw them out. Uh, we can't do that. We believe in the entire book. Amen? Am I the only one? No, right? We all believe in this. So, uh, so we also know that. But at the same time, we, we can't just pick and choose because then that's hypocritical. And, and, uh, and the world spots our hypocrisy. So then what is the answer? How, how do we solve that? Uh, so now we've laid out the question. Now we're going to look at the answer. Um, and the answer, the answer lies in how we understand the relationship between Israel, who, by the way, received the Old Testament, and the relationship between Israel and the church, which received the New Testament. And we have to understand this, this distinction. And, uh, and getting this theological distinction incorrect will cause all sorts of of, of bad in applications and, uh, and sinful applications. And, uh, and so anyone who says that theology doesn't matter doesn't understand theology. Amen? Theology matters. And we have to understand this distinction uh, between us, uh, between Israel and the church. Now, we studied this a little bit uh, in a slightly different context back in the book of Romans. But in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, this is what we read. And if some of the branches were broken off, then, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Now, this was an analogy that Paul was using, and he was using the analogy saying Israel is kind of like a tree, right? With all of their spiritual heritage and their roots, and, 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 it's, a, and it's a tree. But, but the tree was not giving good fruit anymore because they were disobedient to God. They were not following God. They were, they were uh, adulterizing themselves with the foreign gods of the culture. And, uh, and so the analogy was that God was cutting off branches from that tree and grafting in from a wild olive branch people who were not Jews into that. And who is that? It's us. That's the church. And he grafted us, us in, uh, and that's the analogy that he uses. And, and so we find this, this concept of distinction, but this concept of unity as well and how they go together. We are not Israel. The church is not Israel. We don't equal Israel. We didn't take over Israel. But at the same time, we are connected to Israel. We share in the spiritual heritage of Israel as we're spiritually grafted in to the people of God. Does that make sense? So when we look at this, we, we have to understand we did not replace Israel, but we've been grafted in. And, and, uh, and so we receive the blessing in the heritage of Israel. So the church has been spiritually grafted in, but God has not done with Israel. You might remember later on in that same chapter in verse 23, he says, and they, talking about Israel also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in 
again. And this becomes a, a prophetic thing, and we read all about it in other portions of the New Testament. God is not done with Israel as a nation, and he's, he's, got, he's got business to, to resolve with them still. Does that make sense? So, uh, so that balance leaves us uh, to, in, a, in, a, in an important place. So we, we have to remember then that the laws were written to Israel and not to the church. We have, to, we have to keep that balance. Now, does that mean that the law is not applicable to us as a church? It doesn't mean that. Uh, the answer to that is, is no. In fact, remember what Romans, uh, uh, Romans 7 says, verse 7. We read, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And he goes on to explain that further in that context. What is he saying? The law exists because it shows us the very definition of sin. We don't know what sin is until there's a law that says it's a sin, right? And when, a, when an authority that is higher than us places a law, we begin to understand uh, we, we begin to understand that it is what, that it is sin. And so the law still teaches us to recognize sin. That's an important thing. Um, now, the failure in Romans, remember the Jews were taking that to say, then if you obey all of the laws, what will happen? You can earn yourself salvation. But that's not what we find. We find that it's important to know our sin because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? And so the purpose of the law is to expose our sin so that we can get, get it right. Not get it right by... by learning to just be better obeyers. Get it right by learning that we better go to a God and beg for forgiveness, which he loves to give. And we, and we, we begin to understand the gospel in a clearer way. And so, so really the, the goal for us is to, to understand the spirit of the law, uh, not the letter of the law. Just as Romans began, really, in chapter 2, and it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what do we find here? It's the spirit of the law. It's not the letter of the law. The letter of the law kills. When you, if you think that obedience to the law is going to earn credit and earn you your salvation, then, then you're on your way to death. That's what this is saying. But it's the spirit of the law. Words like inwardly, the heart, spirit, in contrast to the word, the letter of the law. So it makes sense. If we're spiritually grafted in, then we would follow the spirit of the law. So we're to follow the spirit of the law, and that means that we walk a fine line. So if we're to walk the spirit of the law, that, that, it's, it's kind of like tight roping, uh, tight rope walking, where you have two directions that you can fall off of that rope, right? And, and so here we are walking this tight rope. We have two directions by which we could fall off. And so we have two erroneous extremes to avoid. And here's what they are. Number one, the idea that the church has replaced Israel so that the law applies to us directly. In other words, if we take this idea that the church has replaced Israel, so now every law that, is given to the, that was given to Israel now is given to us, if we, if we take that understanding, um, then, then we totally miss the point. So the idea is that all laws given to Israel now apply to us, the church. A couple examples of those uh, uh, would be, and, and, and uh, as they, they follow the letter of the law to this day, we, uh, would be the Messianic Jews. 
those are those who uh, they they claim that Jesus is the Messiah, which is right. They accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but they also believe that part of the gospel is to convert the world to be to be Jews in their culture, in all of those things. Uh, another that wouldn't take it nearly to the same extreme, but the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Um, here's the idea: the Old Testament, for example, says, "Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy." What day is the Sabbath? It's Saturday, right? The word Sabbath has two meanings. It means rest or it means seventh, right? Those are the two meanings of, of the word Sabbath, which makes sense because what did God do on the seventh day? He rested, right? So, so he, he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So the thought is, well, if God gave that command to the Jews, the church, they believe, has totally replaced Israel. So it's a misunderstanding of Romans 7, the church has totally replaced Israel. Therefore, they had church yesterday while we're having church today. That's why. That's the rationale behind it. They also don't eat shellfish or pork and so on. However, if they're honest, there's still several laws that they're not keeping. Right? And so we see, we see the problem. So I think they missed the point of Romans 2. And that, that's the point is that we have to live by the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. By the way, isn't that true of any kind of law? When you think about it, um, what's the spirit of the law? When, if you're driving up 131 and you come to the S-curve, right? You guys, are, you guys know where the S-curve is, right? And it's that one part where it's right, in, right around downtown where, where the highway just has that little S-curve. The law says at that point that you have to reduce your speed limit from 70, which is what it's posted at, prior to the S-curve, to what? Yeah, is it 50 or 60? I don't remember. I think it's 50 even, right? Um, So you you come to the S-curve, and now the law says you have to reduce your speed. What is the spirit of that law? I mean, why would they tell you to do that? Is Is it a speed trap? No, it's... It's because you need to reduce your speed in order to, to manage your car and keep it within the lane, right? And so they know with, you've got lanes coming in, you've got lanes going off, you've got all sorts of, a lot of things going on. It's very complicated. So they want you to go slow enough that you have a response. They want you to go slow enough that it's safe. That's the spirit of the law is to keep your speed at a safe limit. So what happens when you get an ice storm? Do you argue, well, wait a minute, the law says I can go 50. So I'm going to go 50 on there, right? Because the law says I'm going to go 50, right? You can argue that all you want from your hospital bed. But there's a more important law, laws of gravity, laws of motion, laws of momentum. There are more laws important that, that they're going to trump whatever law you, you're claiming by, right? Why? Because the spirit of the law would say, if the spirit of the law is that I need to drive at a speed where I can handle my car and keep it in my lane, then I might have to reduce that to quite a bit less than what the law permitted. Why? It's the spirit of the law that matters. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul is getting here. Is we, it, we have to find the spirit of, of the law. So, uh, so that's the, the conclusion. We want to avoid, uh, avoid that extreme. Now, second error is, is the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's the idea that the church is co- totally distinct from Israel. So that none of the laws apply to us. You know, there are a lot of churches that, that take the idea that since God gave the law to the, to the Jews, 
that, and we are no longer Jews, they take that distinction so, to such an extreme that they say, we don't have to obey any of those laws anymore. We're free from those. You are free to disobey any law that is not repeated in the New Testament. That's the idea. Um, and, and I can see several ex- examples of this. I think of, uh, of the idea that the law try, has no, it tries, but we have no, no reason to, uh, to accept, no application to it. Well, many churches then carry an open view of all sorts of things that we find prohibited in Old Testament Scripture. All sorts of things. Uh, I think of, uh, like, uh, living together before marriage. A lot of churches have just kind of thrown that out now, uh, even though the Bible is very clear what it, what it says about morality, or, or even divorce and remarriage. Uh, uh, the Bible in the Old Testament gives some very clear uh, moral understanding of what's right, what's wrong, what the exceptions may or may not be, and the point of today is not to get into the argument of what those are. The point is, a lot of churches today just throw it all out. Why? Because that's Old Testament. It's just Old Testament. Or, or how about uh, the view of homosexuality? You see this one all the time. We saw it in, uh, earlier in the message tonight. The, the idea that, well, let's just throw it all out. Why? Because we're, we're, we're New Testament. So, so we throw that out. Or, or how about worshiping God via images? Well, that's, well, that's an Old Testament command, right? So in the New Testament, I, this one's kind of close to home because this is actually a picture of an idol uh, that stayed about three to five kilometers from where I used to live. And, uh, and this is an idol uh, in, in Costa Rica, and you would have more than half of the country every first weekend of August, more than half of the country would walk from their homes to come and worship worship this, you know. But yet all of these things, very clearly in the Old Testament law, prohibited, right? Prohibited. And yet there are churches who throw it all out simply because it's Old Testament law. But there's a problem with that. What about some of the most famous verses on Scripture in Scripture? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. What do we read? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Stop there for a moment. What scripture is given by inspiration of God? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What scriptures were already written when Paul wrote this? The Old Testament, right? The New Testament, yeah, parts of it being written, like obviously First Corinthians or Second Timothy one, uh, two, and part of three, right? You had some other books that were written. They had not; they were not distributed to the church yet. So he had to be including the Old Testament. Now later on in the book, he refers to Scripture. He says, as the Scripture says, and he quotes the Old Testament, and then he also quotes something that Luke had said. So we do understand that this applies to the New Testament as well. But you can't throw out the Old Testament. He's saying all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So what does that mean? He's, who, is he speaking to the Jews in 2 Timothy, or is he speaking to a, a member of a church? He's talking to, to Timothy, a pastor of church. And he's saying, for you, this is a doctrinal foundation that all Scripture is profitable. It's useful. There is some equity to be found in Old Testament Scriptures, all of it. Even the law? Yes. Even the Levitical Codes? Yes, there's, some, there's something there for us. And what is that value? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. In other words, everything we should believe or shouldn't believe, everything we should do and shouldn't, shouldn't do is founded on the Old Testament scriptures. Wow. It's a jaw-dropping concept when you think about it. So what? So that the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be thoroughly equipped to do everything right? Then you got to get into the scripture, right? You got to get into the scripture. Now, we're, we're never going to reach that, right? But it's not because of a lack of information. It's because of other issues that we have to deal with, uh, heart issues as well. But God's given us everything, all the information we need right here. And so, so we find the Old Testament scripture still has value for us. So we want to avoid these two extremes and look for the spirit of the law. So, that, so the second half of the message is really on how then do we find the spirit of the law? 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6 says this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. We have to go into this with humility. It says, But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So now, there was an old covenant, or the Old Testament, for Israel. He's saying, now we're ministers of a new covenant, a new testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So how do we get to that spirit of the law? To do that, we're going to look at the, at, at the law in a little bit greater detail. You know, there are three different kinds of laws that we find in Scripture. We find moral laws, we find civil laws, and we find symbolic laws, sometimes called ceremonial laws. And, and they're treated differently. And what I want us to see is, how did Jesus... How did the apostles in the New Testament interpret these kinds of laws? Because I believe that that will lay a foundation for us so that we know how to interpret these laws. See, the moral law is written to all people at all times and all places. It's based on moral principles that are applicable to anyone. Uh, these are the basic morals of life. In fact, they're, they're, um, uh, they're found in a, in a summarized form in the Ten Commandments, right? Remember what Jesus said? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So here we have five commandments that teach us how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Commandments numbers one, two, three, four, and five. And then you find the five other commandments. How are you supposed to love your neighbor as yourself? And that's where we find the laws like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, thou, thou, thou shalt not... We find all of these, these relating to how we treat each other. And these are moral principles that are based on the very character of God. Let me ask you this. Does the character of God ever change? Does the morals of God ever change? No. So then that tells us something about his commandments that are based on his moral character. See, what is right is right because it fits in line with the character of God. What is wrong is wrong because it does not. And since God doesn't change, those morals never change change. Does that make sense? Those morals then never, never change. Um, then we have civil law. Civil law was written to the nation of Israel. See, we forget sometimes that, that God was, was dealing with a nation. And not every single person in the nation was even a believer, right? So many of them didn't believe. But yet there had to be civil laws so that people could live in a civil manner. Uh, now, these, I believe, still have value for us today because when you look at the civil laws, they are rooted in, in, uh, in, uh, in the moral laws, but just put into their cultural context. So we have to learn how to compare our cultures to get to the root issue there. Um, uh, here's an example of one of the civil laws. Exodus 22, verse 14, we read, And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it becomes injured or dies... 
the owner of it, not being with it, he shall surely make it good. What is this? This is a moral principle applied in their culture. And we find several of these. And so the idea of this is, is very simple. If, if, if you borrow something from somebody and then you damage it, then it's your job to give it back correctly, right? It's, it's your job. It's your, your obligation. And it works both ways. You know, I, um, I remember one time where uh, a friend of mine in Costa Rica lent me a car because we had a car that, in fact, we called it the French Demon because it was a Renault and it was just possessed, right? We, we replaced every part on that car multiple times in the first two years, it seemed. And, uh, and so he lent me his car. We didn't have space in our garage, so we parked it for one night in front of our house. And sure enough, that was enough for someone to come in, break in, steal my sunglasses, a volleyball, a few things, but also stole the radio. You know, it wasn't even a question in my mind that it's my responsibility to pay to have that window fixed and to pay for him to get a new radio. Why? Because Exodus twenty-two fourteen, And, and so uh, we, we, we find that. And, and we don't like it when it's the opposite, right? We don't like it when it's the opposite. And in fact, I remember one person uh, that we were going to sell our phone to. And, uh, and so we told him he could borrow it for a little while. He was going to go back to the States for, uh, for a little bit. And, he, and we said, you could borrow it, and then you can pay us when you come back. And then he came back and said, oh, I decided not to buy your phone after all. Oh, okay, why not? Well, it's because I lost it. Wait a minute. That doesn't seem right. Why doesn't it seem right? Because there are civil laws which actually take some of the moral principles found in the Ten Commandments and says this is how it applies in a civil situation. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, and so we have to look at how to overcome the cultural differences. Uh, and so when you find a law that says if your bull gores your neighbor and gets out of your, uh, of, of your pen and it gores your neighbor, then you're responsible to, to pay for that person's lost wages. Well, you know what? None of us have, have bulls, I don't think. But we have other things that can hurt people, right? Um, and so the principle is, is, is the point there. So th- that's civil laws. Then we have symbolic laws. Uh, symbolic laws were also written uh, to the nation of Israel, but these are, were religiously uh, um, written to them. Uh, this is dealing with the religious practices of those who were believers in there. And so you basically have two kinds. You have sacrificial laws. Remember there were laws that this is what you do. This is, this is how often you do it. This is what you can sacrifice, what you can't sacrifice, and the order that you're supposed to. There's the whole, the whole Levitical sacrificial law. There's also laws that were to identify Israel as a unique people. And so God came up with certain laws just so that Israel would be a separate group of people. Uh, one example of that would be in the Levitical code of their dietary laws. Uh, we read in Leviticus 11 uh, this. We, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. And then he starts to give a list. And there are several animals that I wish were on that list, you know, but they weren't. And, uh, and so he gives this list of, list of things. And at the end of that he says, For I am the Lord who brings you out, out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You, therefore, will be holy, for I am holy. What does he mean? Set apart. That's what holy means. You are, will be set apart. The Lord is set apart from all of the gods of the world. He is, he is distinct from all of them. Amen? 
And he's saying, so you as a people need to be distinct. So he gave them a list of things that said, this is how you're going to show that you're going to be distinct. Some of those things were, had to do even with hairstyle, right? Had to do with the way they dressed. Had to do with, with different things. And he's saying, you do these things simply for the reason that I want you to look like Jews and be distinct from the rest of the world. And so we had looked at those uh, and we see the difference. So how do we get to the, the spirit of these? How do we get to the spirit of these? And I, the best analogy I can think of would be to think of a river. And, and if you can imagine a river here, and, and it goes and it flows in one direction and the other. And if the goal is to get from, from one side to the other side, which is the, the spirit of the law, then, there, then it depends on where we're crossing the river, how we're going to get across. If you come to a really narrow part in the river then maybe it's as simple as jumping onto a rock, right? And then you jump across to the other side. It's pretty simple, pretty direct. In other places, maybe the river is quite a bit wider, and in order to get from, from one side to the other, you might have to hop across two or three rocks to get across the other side, right? So I feel weird hopping around church today. But, but you get the idea. And so when we look at these laws, we realize some of the applications are going to be a little bit more direct and some a little bit more indirect. Here's what I mean. Take the, the moral law uh, as, as we look at uh, the moral laws that we find in Scripture. And how do we get to the spirit of the law? And, and, that, and it's very simple. First, we look at the heart issue. We look at the heart issue, and then we apply it. It's pretty simple. It's very direct. This is a direct uh, um, application. Now, don't take my word for this. Right? I don't have the right to tell you that this is how you get to the spirit of that law. But let's take Jesus' word for it. We, we count him as a pretty authoritative guy, right? Yes. <laughs> right? Uh, Jesus. So let's take what he says. Uh, what he said. How about Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28? Jesus said, You have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. Where is he getting that from? The Ten Commandments. That's a moral law. So, so this is how Jesus interprets the moral law. This is, this is what he says in verse 20. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus is taking the letter of the law, which kills, because the, the Jews had all sorts of ways to say, well, let's not call this adultery, and it's only adultery if, and but they were full of adultery in their hearts. And Jesus was saying, no, if you want to obey the spirit of the law, then you have to go much further than that. Amen? So he took it and he said, he said, adultery, you know, what's the heart issue with adultery? The heart issue of adultery is saying that, that I am not content with what God has given me, but I am going to seek contentment in something that God has prohibited from me. That's a problem, isn't it? And so even if you look at a person with the intent to lust after a person, then that is actually breaking the law in the spirit. Does that make sense? So, so men, we have to be very careful what we put our eyes on in a culture where people can dress in a way where their intent is to seduce. Right? And women, same thing. You're not, you're, you're not free of, of this either. It's the, it, in a lot of the, the books and the novels... 
and the daytime TV shows are intended to entice you, maybe not simply through the, the gate of the eyes, but through the mind. And, and, and so entice you to, to, to not be content with what God has given you, but yet to make you want something that is prohibited from God. This is the same thing that we find in, Gen- in Genesis 3, right? God gave them all of the fruits of all of the trees, but that's the one that he prohibited that they wanted, right? It's sin nature. And so this is what, what, we, we're, what we get at here. It's very simple. Uh, we, we have to look for that heart issue and we apply it. Well, this is a life-changing thing when you think about it. When, when you look at it and you start looking at, at, at the moral laws and you say, what's, the, what's at the heart of this? Wow, that is a transforming, powerful way to look at Scripture. We read in Hebrews that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is when you start interpreting it that way. Amen? How about civil laws? Well, in civil laws, now you have to compare the differences and the similarities in your cultures because civil laws are applications of the moral laws in a cultural context. So we have a different cultural context, so we have to learn how to, uh, to begin with, with uh, looking for the moral basis of the law. What, what is the moral basis of the law that we find in Scripture um, when it says that if your bull gores another man, or when it says if you accidentally destroy something that belonged to another person and so on, what's the moral basis of that law? And once you, once you make that extra rock hop, you know, you're there. Now you can follow the two rocks that you did before, and simply you, can, you, you look for the hard issue, and then, you, and then you apply it. And so we find that, that the law is still exactly as Paul said. It is, it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen? And, and that's what we find. Here's an example, because I don't want you to take my word for it. Here's, here's what, what Paul did. He took one of those. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He begins by saying, Let, let the elders, by the word, the word, the word elders means pastors, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Let me just stop there for a moment. By the way, I'm not using this passage because I'm seeking some kind of a pay raise, right? That's not the point. What Paul was saying here, though, is in a little cultural context, um, many of the pastors were lay pastors. They had other jobs. They, they had other jobs, and they would, they would pastor, but they would have to work hard and, and take extra hours and do this. And so people started paying them for, for their ministry. And, uh, and so then you had people saying, wait a minute, why do they get two salaries? Right? Because the word here for honor is usually translated as salary in, the, in, this, co- in this type of a context. So he's saying, well, they, of course they should get double. Why? Because they're putting in the extra work. This is what, this is what he's saying. Uh, so yeah, they, yeah, pay them if they're if, pay them for what they're doing. Now here's the basis for why Paul is telling them that it was okay to pay their pastors. This is what he said in verse 18: For the Scripture says, "You shall muzzle or you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain." Now wait a minute, how did he get there? I mean, first of all, are pastors oxen? Some might be, right? <laughs> no, but but that's not the point. So what are we? What is he doing here? He's looking at the moral basis. He's looking at the moral basis of this law. The law says if an ox is treading the grain, you can't put a muzzle on it. Why? Because if you put a muzzle on it, what can't it do? It can't eat. It can't eat the fruit of its own labor. Right? It can't eat. So so if you don't put a muzzle on an ox, why? Because that ox, even though it's not human, 
that ox is working hard, it deserves at least the spoils of its own labor. Does that make sense? If we understand the heart issue and God cares that much about an ox, how much more do you think he cares about you and me as human beings? Right? So if we understand the moral basis and then we look at the heart issue of that, which involves generosity, it, it involves giving person, uh, people the honor that is due them, then that changes the way we live our lives. And maybe some of you might apply this very same verse because maybe you have employees. Maybe you're an employer and you think, you know what? These people are working hard for me. They deserve to be paid a fair salary, right? And, and, or, or giving them some of the spoils of their own, of their own labor. And, and that's why a lot of good companies, you'll see, will do that. Car companies will give uh, discounts to their employees, right? And you find some of that. This is all an application to a principle that we find in Scripture. And it's a good, it's a, it's a good application in, in Scripture. And so, so the point of this, and by the way, you guys take good care of me. Not only, not only take care of all of my needs, but sometimes members of church will give me tickets to the U of, U of M game. So that's pretty cool. But, but... So the point is, in this context isn't so much what this law is. The point of this is to see how Paul interpreted civil law in Scripture. And it, and it was very simple. He, he went to the moral basis of that law, looked at the heart issue of that, and said, now let's apply that. And in that context, in that situation, it meant they needed to start paying some of the pastors that they weren't paying. Right? And, and so that's how we interpret civil law. So it's a little bit of an extra rock hop. But you can get there. Why? Because all Scripture is profitable. It's God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Now let's look at symbolic laws. Uh, we look at symbolic laws. Take sacrificial laws. Why is it that we no longer offer, say, the, the yearly sacrifices on Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur comes, and we, we don't do that as a church, right? Why don't we? Doesn't the law say to do those things? Well, when you look at the purpose of those laws, those laws were pointing to a sacrifice that we read about in the book of Hebrews, which is where we're going next, right? We read about in the book of Hebrews. No longer is there a sacrifice once per year that covers sin, atones for sin. Now we have a sacrifice that was done once for all in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if we go back to the sacrificial system and we start following the sacrificial system, we've got a problem. Why? Because we're putting our trust in something that was done a long time ago that's no longer being done instead of putting our trust in Jesus Christ who is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Amen? And so that's the difference. And, and so we look at these. Or take the, the dietary laws, all of those kinds of laws that were intended um, to, to just show the uniqueness of Israel and we look at that. So here's what we do. We, we first, we have to look at the symbol. We have to look at what the symbol represents. Then when we look at what the symbol represents, then we can look at the moral basis. And then we can look at the heart issue. And then we can apply it. Right? But you've got to take that extra rock hop. And so we have to look at it. And so we look at the sacrifices and say, it would make no sense for us to do that. But it does make sense for us to, to put our trust in the one sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That's our application. Amen? We put, that's our application of the sacrificial laws. When you look at the other laws, and, and we have an example of this in, uh, in, in Acts. Um, so written by, written by Luke. In Acts chapter 10, we read this. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the household to pray. 
and about the, about the sixth hour. Then he, came, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while, uh, while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. This is a vision that Peter received from the Lord. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. By the way, these are all a list of things that we find in Leviticus that says you cannot eat in Leviticus 11. Verse 13, And the voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Wait a minute, how would you feel if you were in Peter's shoes? This has always been against the law. goes on to say, But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Those are the words, the negative words that Leviticus uses towards anything that was, that was wrong. It's either common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again and said the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Wow, what a strange thing to happen, Right? What a strange thing to happen. That, that here, here they were, something that God had said was unclean. Now he's telling, God has made the, this clean. But you know what? Peter interpreted that and he understood. He got the point. He got the point. In fact, um, um, I, I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read verse 25 through 28 of the same passage, of the same, the same uh, chapter. It says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. So this is good. Peter's not accepting worship. He said, I'm just a human being. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one another uh, nation. Or, or go to one of another nation. So he's saying, I remember the law says we're not supposed to keep coming. Why? Because we are distinct. We're Israel. We're, we're supposed to be very distinct. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. What's he getting at? He's saying, yes, there was a purpose of this. The purpose was because God knew what he was going to do in the future. And so he set up some of these laws, uh, some of these laws about what you could and could not eat, simply for the purpose of teaching the Jews at one point that when, it, that when, when God was ready to really reach out to the nations, that we, or, or the Jews anyway, should not consider us unclean. But God can make us clean. Thus, the birth of the church. The multi-ethnic church, right? And we have roots from all over the world, don't we? And yet God has chosen to bless us. We're spiritually grafted in to the people of God. I don't know about you, but that, that, that gets me, that gets me here when I think about that. That gets me there. And so we see that when we put these together, we find, we find that all law, moral law, civil law, symbolic law, has some, some equity for us if we're willing to put our trust in the giver of those laws and look for the spirit behind those laws. So here's applications. I'm going to give us three applications today and here's what they are. Number one, don't throw away the Old Testament. Don't do it. What God said was morally right is still morally right. What God said was morally wrong is still morally wrong. And, and so we use the Old Testament to understand the difference between right and wrong. And, and that's where we will begin to understand it. At the same time, I'd say, number two, don't get caught up in legalism. 
you see, legalism is justice, the idea of justice, but without the idea of mercy. Uh, legalism is when we think that, that we can live by a standard of, of all these laws. And so don't, I'm telling, don't fall into that pattern of, I have to obey every law because I'm earning salvation. Guess what? We all stink at obeying the law. Right? We, not that we shouldn't try. But we, fa- we do. We fail. And, and so don't get caught up in legalism because... Th- the law was never intended to teach us how to get salvation. The law was intended to, to teach us how sinful we were so that we would be willing and open and humble enough to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And that's what it boils down to. And then number three, uh, I would say walk humbly with God. Uh, this ought to be something that, that causes us to walk humbly with God. I'm going to close with this verse. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the Israelites were very... They had added a bunch of laws. They had fallen into legalism, and, and uh, they had added all these laws, and then they blamed God for those laws. And, 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 and in Micah 6, 8, he says, this is, what it is. this is what God requires of you. And we find this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And where has he shown us what is good? He has shown us what is good in his, in his laws. That's how we know what's good and what's bad by, by reading in the law. And we, we recognize, oh, it is bad to bear false witness. It is bad uh, to kill. It is bad uh, to commit adultery. It is bad. And we, we learn, he has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Uh, to, to do justly because we should be seeking to obey the spirit of the law. That's what it means to do justly. To love mercy because we stink at number one, right? We stink at, at, uh, at, at doing justly. And so we love, we have to come to a point where we love mercy. If, if your obedience to the law and disobedience to the law, it doesn't cause you to love mercy, then you don't get it. Because we come to a point where we recognize how sinful we are and we love mercy because mercy is what God has bestowed upon us because we're not living justly. And we love God's mercy so much that we just can't wait to share it with other people. And so when other people mistreat us, then that's that's a great thing. It's a blessing for us because we have the opportunity now to love mercy and show that same mercy that God showed to us and give it out to other people. Right? Isn't that the story of Jonah? Where Jonah didn't get it because he loved, oh, he loved mercy. There's a beautiful poem that, that, that Jonah wrote about mercy when it was given to him. But when he was asked to give mercy to the Ninevites, it's like, hold on a second, Lord. Uh, that's enough. We ought to do justly, but love mercy. And when you do, you'll walk humbly with your God. I can't think of any greater thing than having a personal relationship where I walk humbly with my God. And, and if there's any in here today, you might not have that relationship with God. Then I want to tell you, today is a day. Don't leave today without knowing for sure that you have a relationship with God. I'll give you a chance to respond to that if you'd like to in a moment. And for us as believers, we've got to get caught up to where we don't throw off the Old Testament, but we also don't get caught up in legalism. And we love mercy, and we carry those, those two balanced. And when we balance those two things, we can walk that tightrope. Isn't that how tightrope walkers work? They keep something with a balance, and it helps them to maintain their balance, and they can walk straight across. That's what it means to walk humbly with our God, to carry the law, the spirit of law, carry mercy, and we carry those two through life. What a beautiful way to live our lives. If we would just understand this concept, it would change the way we live our lives. Amen.
and it would change the way the world would see us too. Let's pray.